Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Last Sunday, we went to Hebrews, chapter 6, and we talked about the elementary principles, you might say the ABCs of the gospel. I pointed out that there were six of them, and the third one that make up um, basically the doctrine of our our faith is called the doctrine of baptism. Uh, and we made a point of saying that baptism is an outward action of an inward work. In other words, we're acknowledging the Lord. And um, they call it a doctrine. And as we look at chapter 6, we see that Paul um, is going to get into baptism. So let's read the first six verses, which tell us, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now he's going to take them back and remind them of when they were baptized. And if they recognized and remember what the meaning of them being baptized actually was. Then he says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus was, were baptized into his death? Uh, therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So Paul is making the analogy that uh, when Jesus died, he went down to the, the grave, but he came back with his resurrected body. So manner, now the therefore. In identifying with it, and we'll call it the doctrine of baptism, he's saying basically uh, that's what happened to you when you gave your life to the Lord. You were buried, you go down into the water, symbolic of, of, of dying um, with him, uh, by baptism into death, that just as Christ raised from the dead um, to our Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So it's sort of a burial. Something old has passed away, your old life. It's dead, it's buried, and it's an outward sign. You're outwardly expressing this of what has happened here. Um, Corinthians tells us old things pass away. Behold, all things become new, or at least it's supposed to. When we get to chapter seven, we're gonna see the difficulty of actually doing this work, this ongoing work between justification and sanctification. We'll be talking more about that. Um, Verse five, for we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also will be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. In other words, whatever you gave yourself to before you were um, born again, um, you're letting that go and uh, because you were a slave of it and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So the first um, six verses here is Paul likening Uh, the doctrine of baptism 
as a symbolic outward witness of a person that has come to the Lord. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new, or at least that's the plan. Uh, When we get to chapter seven, we'll see um, Paul's unbelievable honesty about his own shortcomings. And so picking it up in verse seven, we'll stop at verse 13. For we who, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Uh, This is important. The whole book of Hebrews in the 10th chapter goes over and over and over and over and over again, making this one point. Jesus died one time, and it never, ever has to be repeated again. That's the main theme of uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Died once, it never has to happen again. Um, Likewise, you also... Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it and its lust. Talking about sin from the pulpit in the last days, as things are getting crazier all the time, um, will become more of an unpopular subject to talk about. Sin, repentance, and dying to yourself, dying daily. And uh, one of the things of um, a Wednesday night Bible study is coming in, and um, the worship is so sweet. And we're so blessed to have the worship team that we have. And we can um, unwind, let go, and open up. And it's sort of preparing the ground of your soul for the Bible study. Um, a lot of us are carrying around with us people that we're thinking about that are going through difficult times and um, it can be overwhelming. And again, one of the great things here is we come and the Bible tells us, well, this is reality. Uh, Most of the world today is in bondage to sin. You are a very small minority and uh, you're the number one threat to the World War III that we are currently involved in. Yes, you heard me correctly. I believe we're in in a biological warfare with China. And um, it's happening. And um, the information that you're gonna get from here is not the information that I heard tonight on the news before I came here. Because they're very casually coming out and saying, well, there appears to be a problem with the uh, vaccine and that it's uh, seeming to affect uh, some people um, with a heart condition and clotting in the lungs, especially younger men. And then they went that far and no farther and completely turned it around and went on to say, but it's so much more important to get the vaccine than to have these uh, casual side effects that you see just minimally happening. You need to hear it from me that is an absolute total 
blasphemous lie because the shot is a means to an end. And without getting too sidetracked here, COVID-19 is, is uh, we had no flu this year, last year. Isn't that interesting? No flu at all. Why? Because the way it was reported. It was really the flu, but it was labeled COVID-19. And I'll tell, I'll repeat this over and over again, COVID-19 is real. People have died from it. But 99% of 18 and up, if you have just COVID-19, that's the chances that you will not die. 98% you will not die of just COVID-19. So what are people dying of? The shot, which is a chemically engineered, altering DNA subject that is um, uh, responsible, and I think we're just seeing the beginning of that right now. So um, this is pure evil that's taking place, and there's absolutely no thought or conscience whatsoever of the people that are, are dying from this. Uh, there's going to be a lot of doctors that are going to wake up someday. As more and more evidence is coming out, they won't be able to um, uh, suppress it. And people are going to find out. They're going to know because of the amount of people that are eventually going to die. All right. In verse 13, um, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now I'm going to go to this place twice tonight because it uses this word, present your bodies to God as being alive from the dead. Just flip over a couple pages. We'll do it again a little later to Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, where he says basically the same thing. And we need this exhortation on on a daily basis. Uh, Paul says, I beseech you, or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable because of what the Lord has done for us to say, Lord, here I am, send me. That is reasonable in light of what he's done for us. And then he goes on to say, be careful what is shaping you. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. First John chapter four says, if anybody loves the world, this present world, says the love of the Father isn't in him. That's a pretty strong statement. If you love this present world, then um, the love of God is not in you. We see uh, this world... Let's go back to uh, Romans 6, verse 13. And we see that um, we're in that sanctification area right now. This means we are to know something. We are to know God, method of making a sinner the kind of person he wants him to be. Now, while justification merely declared him righteous, so... We, we sing that song, justified just as though I'd ever been sinned. That's one act that Jesus did, and when he died for your sins, you were justified. And it's a one-time work. 
and the Lord did it all. Sanctification that we've been talking about, we've been picking that up, five and six of Romans began to talk more and more about it. Six and seven now are going to get into uh, more practical ways of sanctification and the struggle that um, we're going to go through, especially when we get to chapter seven. Um, When he gave us a new nature, now he is to know that we was buried with Christ and raised with him. God wants them to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The believer is joined to the living Christ. He is reckoned on the fact he is to count on it. He is to consider it as true. You see, God saved us by faith through justification, but then he began this process called sanctification, which is just everyday walk. And I think I used the illustration on uh, Sunday, if I remember right. When you come to the Lord, you're a baby Christian, and you feed babies milk. And he was chiding, if you remember, the Hebrews, because he said, by now you should be teachers, but you're still hanging on to the ABCs, the elementary principles, and I can't give you solid food. I can't give you in-depth Bible studies. I gotta feed you on milk because you're still babies and you haven't matured after this period of time. And now we come to that which is very practical indeed. You are to yield yourself or to present yourself. And this should be on a daily basis. Paul said, I die daily. And so on a daily basis, we come and say, Lord, here I am. Here's my schedule. I give you permission here now. This is what my schedule says. (laughs) But I give you permission to break in anytime you want to, change it anytime you want to, Uh, So we say things like this. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And then I say after it, Lord willing. (laughs) Um, So as we get through the 13 and 14, let's read 14 now. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. So in verses 15 to 23, 15 is very similar to verse 1. Um, what then, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Okay, keep your finger there. Go back to chapter six, verse one. And Paul says almost identically the same thing. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer with it? And that's how he ends this particular section of uh, Romans 6. For uh, um, uh, in verse 15, what then, shall we, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And he says, certainly not. He goes on to tell us, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are the one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. But God be thanked that through you, were, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, and here he uses that word again, which is the doctrine of baptism, symbolizing that you, got, you outwardly were showing that you uh, were dead to sin, which you were delivered. Now in verse 18, 
and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And um, this being set free reminded me of, uh, if you're taking notes, John 8, verse 32, which simply says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's the truth? Well, the truth is I've been justified. One-time act. Jesus did it all. I had nothing to do with it except receive that free gift. And then, as a result of that, um, I've known the truth, that I'm not part of the equation for my own salvation. No works. Um, The only thing we can do is say, thank you, Lord. That's why I like that song that we sang tonight. I just want to take some time. Just want to take some time just to thank you, Lord. I can kick back and enjoy your presence, knowing that I know the truth, and the truth has set me free. But it's also, there's a difficulty that comes with this because we especially um, need to let new believers know about this. Um, I would imagine today, if I was a topical Bible study teacher, I would be giving Bible studies that would deal with just areas of just comforting you, okay? Instead of saying, no, you're in a war. You're in a big time war. The flesh is warring against the spirit. 24-7, nonstop. So you wake up in the morning and you gotta make a decision. Um, Which one you're gonna lay down your your life for? You live for yourself? Or Or like I said earlier, you said, Lord, here's what the schedule says, but I'm yours, so do with me um, what you too choose. So you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, verse 32. Now, in verse 19, this will take us back to Romans quickly. It tells us, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness uh, leading to more lawlessness. That's what's happening in Haiti right now. It's just escalating. And it is very dangerous to be in, in um, a Haiti right now. We're just getting that report that Bastia said about the banks being broken into. And a lot of you don't understand uh, when, when, when he says market, um, that's how people shop in Haiti. There are grocery stores, but the majority of the people go to a local market where they have to get their food fresh daily. So what has happened? These gangs have come in and just took it all. And so my concern is there's a shortage of food and fuel right now. And this is going to put a lot of pressure on. I asked Basti to specifically mention that they had to take 10,000 people and put them in special compounds or safe places. Uh, because they don't care who gets killed. And they are in, as of today, and this is an escalation type thing, uh, going into war, and both sides are saying, make my day. Um, And it is a civil war, as of today. So 19, um, this lawlessness that we see leading to more lawlessness, sort of a crescendo of building. So now present yourselves as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Whatever you served before, you came to Christ. 
with that intensity and that drive and that, that desire, Paul's now saying, let's turn it around again and let's let this book and let's start the sanctification process of not being baby Christians. All right, once again, go back to 12. How do we learn? Well, J. Vernon McGee says we learn by repetition, repetition, repetition. So let's be repetitive. And he's begging you. I, again, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And it's been said before, the problem with a living sacrifice is it can have the tendency to crawl off the altar whenever it wants to, because <laughs> it's alive. And living sacrifices can do that. Wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And now we get into the, this next verse is the sanctification part of it. Or in other words, the work that the Lord is wanting to do in and through you. And don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. How does one mind get renewed? Well, it's getting washed right now. You ever hear, there's a scripture that says we're being washed in the word. So what are we doing tonight? We're in a Bible study. What's the effect of the Bible study? We're getting washed. And we're getting reminded. Who, who, who are you going to um, allow to conform you? The world that changes every day? Or God's word? by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is a good and perfect and acceptable will of God. What is the will of God? Well, it goes back to where we were on Sunday, the Great Commission. Go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And chapter six is a doctrine of baptism, basically pointing out and saying, look, you died to that old man so don't let that influence you. Die to that and live for this. Let's finish out. Um, I left off in 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you present yourself members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading, again, leading to more of the escalation, to more lawlessness, no. Now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness, so that you grow from the milk into the meat. And you become mature, and you look around and you say, well, this is temporal. Um, This isn't gonna last forever. So what's really important? Your life is a witness. What's happening tonight, we talk about often from here, it's Ephesians 4. And that is that um, as a pastor teacher, He gave some to be pastors and teachers. Then it goes on to say for the equipping of the saints. Well, that's you. For what? To do the work of ministry. Where? Whatever your sphere of influence is. So let's just use the workplace as an example. That's where people see you on a daily basis. That's where you go to work. And they're watching you. Well, let's see how he's going to handle this one. And... um, um, they will observe through observation just where your priorities lie. Verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. That's the end of the road because all will die. But now having 
been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end, everlasting life. Now, um, I'm going to put the Romans road back up because we're going to get to Romans uh, 23. Here again is the Roman road to salvation. You'll notice the second one. First one is for we've all sinned by nature and by choice. So I like to say there can be no conversion without conviction. You have to be aware of the fact that you're a sinner. And the primary reason the Holy Spirit came in the first place was to convict you of sin, number one. And now we're in Romans 6.23, the last verse of chapter six. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I like the part where it says it's a free gift. A free gift is something that you have to accept of your own free will or say, no, thank you, I don't want it. But um, the first step is to acknowledge that we are dead in our sins but and the wages for that is death. But then we have this big little word, but. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And um, with that, I would want to go back to Genesis 2, death, where it originated from. Pick it up at verse 15. This is, of course, we talked about this on Sunday with um, Eve. Uh, Verse 15 of chapter 2, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Out of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Eve ate of the fruit. Death came upon all men from that moment on. We went to Galatians and pointed out that she was deceived, but Adam wasn't. Remember we said that Christ... Adam is a type of Christ, and that he freely ate. He he knew what he was doing. Eve was deceived, but not Adam. He did it of his own free will. Why? Because he loved his bride. Why did Jesus die for you that he calls his bride? And um, he died for you in the same way that Adam, of his own free will, took of the fruit and ate it, knowing full well what was going to happen but he did not want to live forever without her. But nonetheless, where did it all start? We just read here, the wages of sin is death. First death, Eve. Second death, Adam. And death has reigned all the way up. Death reigned until, even until, um, I've been trying to make it through the Ten Commandments and I just can't, I keep falling asleep. <laughs> I was watching it last night and I woke up and, um, I've gotten to the part where um, Charlton Heston is talking to the bush the first time, but um, I, can't, I can't see the writing in the stone tablets. I keep falling asleep. And uh, that's what happened again last night. I'm going to go home and give it another shot tonight. But my point is, there was death even before the commandments came. When Moses was given the commandments, death was already in process. Somebody want to give me an Amen. And understand that? 
and it has continued to rain and is raining today. And we were in men's prayer in Psalm 139. We talked about, well, when does life begin? And if you read and take literally Psalm 139, it actually starts before conception. That's what the Bible teaches. Your life, it says, uh, your days were written even before you were formed in my book. And everything that you do, every day, God knows. How do I know that? Because God knows all things. Well, how do I have a free will if God knows everything that I'm gonna do? Because he's God. And he knows what you're going to do. And yes, he wrote them all down. And you said, yeah, but I made that decision. Well, he knew you were gonna make that decision because he's all-knowing. And um, so we have free will and we can exercise it. And if I would wind up chapter six this way, I would say that we're still in the free will area where Paul is saying, look, I beg you guys, give your, give your lives up to the Lord. Let the transformation come, not from the, the world, but from this book. Let this be the thing that changes you and transform you. And um, like Jesus, I'll guarantee you, you will lose friends instead of gain them. Then again, there's gonna be that person that you come along and that divine appointment takes place. And somehow they come and accept Christ because of what you're telling them. Um, You may not know it, but that is a critical point in this person's life, Lord, it's either now or never. And all of a sudden a Christian comes up and you're thinking to yourself, God could have known that I needed this right now, right here, today. I call it a divine appointment. And the person sees it as such and he gives his life to the Lord. And as it says in Daniel chapter 12, those who lead many to righteousness will be like the stars that will shine forever and ever and ever. That goes to your account. God used you as an instrument to bring this person to Christ. And that person is not only gonna be grateful to the Father and the Son, but through all eternity, he's gonna be saying, that's the guy that the Lord used right over there. That guy over there, the Lord used him at the right moment, at the right time. And that's when I'm here. So let's go on to chapter seven. The theme of sanctification began in the latter parts of chapter five um, with sanctification. Then in chapter six, we saw uh, the sanctification uh, exemplified by an act of of baptism. In other words, you acted it out by being baptized. Um, Now in this chapter, before us, there are two subjects. Uh, the shackles, is a good word for it, of a saved soul, and the struggle of a saved soul. The law cannot produce sanctification in the life of the believer. It merely shackles it. Neither can the believer produce sanctification in his life by depending on the desire of the new nation. Just to say you want to live for Christ won't get you anywhere. You need to present yourself to him recognizing that you're joined to the living Christ. Romans chapter seven to me is one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible because it tells us about the real struggle 
that we go through when we talk about dying to ourselves. And the example, and the guy who's writing it is the Apostle Paul. So let's pick it up. Um, First six verses here. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, then she is free from the law so that there is no adulteress though she was married to another man. Now we have the therefore. What Paul's doing here is using an analogy. You're bound to your wife uh, by the law, um, but if the husband dies and you're released from that, and um, um, you're free to um, remarry if he died. Now he's going to use that same analogy. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. I want to stop right there. So what is the sanctification process and what is the Lord really looking to? What does he want from us? What does he want from me? I'm glad you asked that question. So let's go to the book of Galatians and look at chapter five. Galatians chapter five, picking it up in verse 22. Talks about fruit. We read in Galatians five, verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Now let me just stop and point something out. Notice it doesn't say fruits with an S. It's fruit singular. In other words, the fruit of the spirit is love. There should be a period, not a comma there. The attributes of God's love as a fruit is joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have again crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So here is what the Lord is looking for. After you come to him and you go in this process where maybe before you were always angry, cantankerous, had a terrible temper, blew the top at anything, and the Lord wants to take that, and now if he's looking for fruit, singular, his love inside of you producing these, what we call fruits of the Spirit. All right, let's go back to Romans chapter 7. And that was in verse four. Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, even to him who has raised Christ from the dead, to do what? To bear fruit unto God. We're not talking about just leading other people to the Lord. We're talking about our life being transformed and taking on these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. For when we were in the flesh, the passions of sin which were aroused by the law 
we're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And the letter there is reference to the letter of the law. Uh, Verses 7 through 13 deals with law cannot deliver a person from sin. It can only reveal the fact that we are sinners. So what should we say then? Is the law sin? Well, he says certainly not. On the contrary, I would have not known sin from the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. And so you were coveting, but all of a sudden now God's law says you can't covet. And now as a result of that, um, um, I'm aware that I am a sinner because of covetousness. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced to be all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. In other words, he didn't have this consciousness, even though death reigned. Uh, that consciousness, thou shalt not covet, wasn't there because the commandment wasn't given yet. I was once alive, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. I was busted. God said, I can't do that. And I did it. And I do that. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Nothing along with God's commandments. The word of the Lord is pure and righteous. Uh, the, the fear of the Lord is just the beginning of wisdom. Just the beginning. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy. And the commandment's holy and it's just and good. The problem isn't the law. The problem is me being exposed by the law Has then what is good become death to me? That's the question. Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good so that through the commandments might become, notice this, exceedingly sinful. And so basically like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we have a conscience. And now the conscience that we have is bearing witness that God's laws, as it relates to him, they're good. They're perfect. The problem is not the law. The problem's here. The problem's there. And now we get into, and this is why I like a good way to end this study tonight, with the real battle, and, and Paul just lays it out here, what every one of us goes through on a daily basis when it comes to our Christian walk, Paul says, for I know, for we know that the law is spiritual. Problem is, I'm carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. You know how encouraging that is to me? Because of the man who's speaking it. We're talking about the Apostle Paul here. And um, the Apostle Paul. And he he goes through this list and he's applying this not to you, he's applying it to himself. He says, I know what's right. Verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. 
but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Again, the sin issue. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. There it is. Oh, aren't those sweet comforting verses just make you feel gushy all over? Nothing. There's got to be something. No, nothing. Paul's saying that. In me, nothing good dwells. To will is present with me. I agree with the law. That sounds great. Love God with all your strength, soul, and, and worship him and him only. That all sounds good. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's all great stuff. Problem is, unless I die to myself daily, I'm only concerned with one thing. That's self. Only concerned about me. But to will is present with me. But the problem is how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that's what I practice. How honest this is. And now we're talking about sanctification. And what I want you to see as we go through this is the wrestling, the wrestling match that's going on. Knowing what's right and... um, still not doing it. And uh, he comes right out and, and lays it out. Verse 20, for if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I love the Bible, love the word of God. Problem is I can't live up to it. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. And here it is, a spiritual battle that every true born-again believer goes through. And brings me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then I like this. Oh, wretched man that I am. Here's his conclusion as he looks at himself. There's not nothing good in me. So what does that bring me to? I'm a wretch. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm, I'm caught, I'm helpless. Okay, John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. That saved a what? That saved a wretch like me. You know why John Newton considered himself a wretch? This is what's on John Newton's tombstone. I'm quoting. John Newton clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa. This is what he did. He bought slaves from Africa, brought them to the States. That was his job. Was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith had long labored to destroy. I can't read this verse without thinking about amazing grace in John Newton. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? And then he gives the answer in verse 25. I thank God, that's all we can do. Sometimes people come up and say, I wanna know what the will of, is of God for my life. And I always give the same answer. The Bible only says, this is the will of God, that you are grateful yeah, but what, is this? what else? Nothing else. 
This is God's will for you, that you are grateful for what he's done for you. The disciple kind of phrased it in a little bit different form of a question. Lord, what work must I do to have eternal life? And the Lord just looked at them and said, believe on the one that the Father has sent. What else? Nothing else. That's it. And so he's come to the conclusion that he's a wretch, but he thanks God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. I don't believe there should be a, um, um, a break in the chapter, sir, so we're going to read one verse of chapter 8 because we have a, a therefore. A therefore is always explaining what was previously before it. And it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Um, I want you to turn with me to um, what we'll close with tonight, Revelation chapter 12. And on your way there, stop at 1 John 1. 1 John 1. Therefore, if Jesus did it all, in John 1, these are scriptures you're familiar with, verses 8 and 9 and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want to really drive home this very emotional point because this is what happens when you sin. Go to Revelation 12. And we find, I find, that because I sinned, I deserve to be punished. And the enemy is continually sitting on your shoulder. Remember, the devil is called one of his, one of his titles? The slanderer. And he accuses you, we read in Revelation 12, um, verse 10, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. That tells me that this night, what's going on, is he's in accusation mode, accusing me, accusing you, and he does it continually. And you can be seduced into the things that he says. And uh, this one verse, there is therefore no condemnation. This is one of those areas, especially maybe after you blew it big time, where the devil's sitting there and you call yourself a Christian. You see what you just said? You see what you just thought? You call yourself a Christian? Well, you can either stand on that emotion and listen to him or you can stand on Romans 8, verse 1, which is a verse you need to put to memory because there is no condemnation. And if you're allowing it to take place, then your emotions are superseding God's word. Is everybody tracking with me? You cannot allow the emotion to pre- take precedent over Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, therefore what? I'm a wretch, 
but Jesus, last verse, um, did it all for me. And because of that, and that work has been done, I've confessed my sin, and he's forgiven me. I have to stand on that. And know that the accuser will continue to accuse him, and you can tell him where to go, because I'm quoting Romans 8.1 to you, accuser of the brethren, out. And now this becomes precedent. And you know the results of that instead of condemnation? Oh, freedom. Back to freedom and being thankful. Because what do we know? Five and six laid it out clearly. We're under the law, we're under sin, and then it's all been changed because of the work of the cross. And we acknowledge, I want to do the right thing, I just can't pull it off. Sometimes I can, and um, sometimes I can't, just like Paul says. So as we leave uh, this evening, and we're finishing up with um, seven, on Sunday we'll be one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter eight. So with that, let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, as we close our Bible study tonight, um, just, I just pray your word would not return void. As Paul lays out for us, um, that your word is good. Um, the law is not the problem. The problem is with, with us that in us dwells no good thing. We don't like to hear that. But it's true. And we're so grateful, Lord, that because of this redemption that you've given to us, um, that we can't live in condemnation. And when we listen to the slanderer who does accuse us day and night uh, and give in to that, it, it will affect us. So Lord, teach us to be dependent upon your word and your word only as the final authority. And help us, Lord, during the sanctification process that you're wanting to produce the fruit of love that bring all these other characteristics on, patience, long-suffering, joy, love. Uh, we want to those things to be developed in our life. Thank you for your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.